Thank you, as always, for listening to Caleb vs. Self. On this episode, I get to speak with Jake from How to Alaska. We talk about his new gold claim that he's got in Alaska, which you can see all the YouTube videos on, which is really cool to watch. We talk about his Alaskan lifestyle, hunting, fishing, foraging, along with how he focuses on how he raises his boys, specifically in Alaska. Uh, you can find Jake on YouTube at How to Alaska. I would highly recommend checking it out. Really cool content he's got going on there. Uh, kind of has like the reality show without the reality scripting uh, going on there at How to Alaska. So check him out. And as always, I hope you guys enjoy the conversation. Let me start with, I know you were born in Oregon, right? Up until about 11 or 12? Yeah, in, in 93, uh, I guess that kind of dates me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in 93, my parents moved up. My dad was uh, kind of, a, he was a logger in Oregon, and he got an opportunity to come up. They had a big logging camp, and we moved out like to the middle of nowhere. I mean, it was like 50 miles by boat from Valdez, so out of Prince William Sound, which if you know Alaska is like, it's as remote as you basically get. A small little camp, maybe 100 people there. Wow. And from that point, you've been in Alaska ever since then, right? Yeah, yeah, I have. So it, for you, you know, not necessarily being native born, but I feel like it's fair to say you pretty much grew up there. What is your favorite thing or favorite part of being an Alaskan, being in Alaska? Well, there's so many things that I love about it. Um, but I guess my favorite thing is just you kind of feel like a freedom, like you can go and there's, there's just so much at your fingertips that you can do. And there's, there's not anybody for the most part that gets in your way for doing outdoor uh, outdoor stuff so there's not a lot of hoops you got to jump through it's just kind of just having that freedom to go and explore and I guess it's that frontier spirit in a sense yeah and on your channel you've done all sorts of stuff right now I'll start I'll start with what you're doing right now you're building a camp if I'm not mistaken on a claim that you have right Or or a cabin I should say yeah, yeah, I'm building a, a cabin to help us, I guess, to facilitate us with um, gold mining on that on that claim. Uh, it um, gold mining is one of the things that I've always my dad taught me how to gold mine when I was a kid or pan. Anyways, he wasn't a gold miner, but I mean he he had that interest, same kind of interest, and uh, so I ended up going to school for mining engineering because. I was talked to it. I ended up dropping out. Uh, it wasn't really for me. Uh, sure. Mining engineering is more of a management position at a mine uh, where you're putting everybody together to, to do the cool stuff. You know, geological engineering might have been better. Uh, fisheries would have been the best. Totally different from that. But um, but anyway, so I have a lot of background in it and I love finding things, finding things that nobody's ever uncovered, you know, kind of that treasure hunting, uh, mentality. So, uh, we're out four wheeling and I found some gold in a, in a district that I didn't, didn't know about where we're finding little nuggets and stuff and, and ended up working real hard. I ended up being on somebody else's claim, not knowing it at the time, but <laughs> I waited for ground to open up and, you know, it was a long process to stake a claim where, where I, where I wanted to. And I, so, I have to imagine the whole process to stake a claim and to be able to get a, you know, particular section of land for you to be able to prospect and start mining is, is probably quite a pain. What was it for you? Is it just like filling out paperwork and just waiting? Is it the hurry up and wait aspect or? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, the big thing is, is really just finding gold in Alaska is pretty, pretty easy. There's a lot of areas where you can just go find color and, and actually see gold in your pan, but finding something that, you know, is exciting, uh, especially if you kind of know what you're looking at is, is a little bit more difficult. And a lot of that ground that's accessible has already been kind of explored a little bit. And so 
waiting for a piece of ground to get abandoned or open up, that was probably the longest process of, of trying to, because I knew the area that was close to, close to where I lived and, and that I could access and, you know, get that. I wanted something that was going to be more fun, not necessarily as a living. Sure. Sure. And um, in, in some of the videos that you have, you've done dredging, you've got the sluice boxes out there. You've got this insane machine that looks like you're dropping right. The sluice box right into the Creek itself and running water so that you can do that. Where does that stuff come from? Do you have like a buddy that has that? Do you rent that equipment? How does that work? Well, I did have a, I did have a buddy and I ended up buying the, the dredge off of him. Um, he came up to, um, work the claim with me a little bit and, uh, and he's an older guy and, and just kind of getting at the end of his, you know, gold mining experience. And, uh, it just kind of worked out. And so I bought that off of him to just kind of move on along with my claim. So next step up kind of thing. Um, with those claims, the other, the other thing is with them is, um, there is a lot of paperwork and stuff and you guys got to keep up with it. It's a lease basically. So from the state, so yeah. Yeah. And the cabin was a lot of paperwork too. <laughs> I can imagine. And then on top of that, just, just watching you having to bring all the material out there, just all the OSB and the LVLs and the two by fours and two by sixes and everything else you're bringing out there, just transportation alone to such a, I mean, for me, it's super remote for you. I feel like it's probably just a few miles, maybe 10, 20 miles away, but it's a few what? miles, but, um, it's super remote. <laughs> I mean, it's like, like I, I'm going to struggle with getting back in there in the summer. Um, it's a lot easier on a snow machine. We weren't going to be able to haul anything in there in the summer. Well, it also uh, looked like there's how many like creeks and streams are you crossing over? I mean, you broke through or, or somebody broke through at one point. Yeah. A yeah I of... did. Well, a few of us have broke through and that's in the Creek. Um, and, and there's some danger to it. I mean, that, that falling through the ice when you're, I don't know, 15, 20 miles off of the highway and like, there's nothing else around there. Like you could die of hypothermia. You're probably not going to get sucked under that Creek. Creek water uh, really slows down in the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but you don't want to get wet back there. I mean, a lot of days that we were back there, it was below zero, um, and really below zero when we started out or right at around zero, even at the high temperature for the day. So like you fall through, you get wet under, under, under your clothes. It's a problem. But a lot of times when it's that cold, a lot of people don't realize um, your your clothes are cold already. And so that first bit of moisture that soaks through, a lot of times it'll freeze even before it soaks through your clothes. So if you're quick about it and you're not, if you don't get sopping wet, you're, you're, you're generally pretty good. I think I heard that in one of the videos too, where, where somebody's yeah. just foot broke through real quick and they're like, nah, it just, it froze already. Like it's all yeah. done. Yeah. And, That's and crazy then, how know, cold it is. It's, uh, you know, everything dries out, um, the snow dries out. And so that snow will absorb moisture too. So that's why when I fell through, I was rubbing snow on my, on my pants to, to keep the moisture from soaking through. Cause if you get it off your pants really quick and it freezes up, it, it just adds to the insulation on the outside. Gives you a little wind block. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Well, you've done a ton of stuff. I mean, you've been out there hunting moose, caribou, hunting for hares, uh, muskrat trapping. I mean, you've done all sorts of stuff out there. Has there been a particular situation where there was a small thought in your head like, uh-oh, I'm in real trouble right now? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I have, I have, I do have a hunting video uh, on uh, uh, one that we're getting caribou up on a federal hunt that we do. And I actually got turned around and it was... Um, not really in a big area, but, but it started snowing on us and it was dark and, and I ended up walking in about a 400 yard circle. It's amazing how fast you can end up walking in a circle. And I only had about 400 yards to go. So I was just shy of my trail. So I was between two trails. I was between the highway and the pipeline, right? About a mile, a mile, maybe even three quarters of a mile wide in this, in this swath, right? Mm-hmm. in the winter with 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 tracks 
and it got dark and it was snowing pretty hard. It got turned around, tracks got covered up, couldn't even find our way out of that. And we would have ended up having to spend the night out there at the very least. And then my buddy put his foot through, uh, it was earlier in the winter and he put his foot through a bog down over his knee, got wet. And unfortunately we were about maybe a hundred, 150 feet from the trail at that point. And, and, but I, I hauled a caribou in a 400 yard radius circle and, uh, and came back to the same kill site. It was insane. It was, it was pretty freaky. So what ended up, did you end up finding the trail or? Yeah, we found the trail and uh, I think I got back at like 3 a.m. that morning and we were planning to be back at around, uh, I don't know, nine that night. So we spent about six hours out there. <laughs> Me and my buddy oh, tried to get our caribou back to the car. My wife was freaked out and worried and, you know. I mean, there's, well, it, been, there's been a few is, things like that. Is it easy to, and I'm guessing that it's not, but I don't actually know. Is it easy to get a hold of somebody when they're out that far? I, I imagine you don't have yeah. cell phone signal or anything no. like that, right? <laughs> we didn't have cell phone. It, it was pretty spotty signal there. So we didn't, we we're just outside of cell phone signal. Like my mind, no cell phone signal back there at all. Right. You know, all that stuff is, it's, it's remote. A couple years back, just for the safety sense of things, I picked up a Garmin inReach. Okay. And, yep. uh, and that gives us a lot of peace of mind because you can you can at least get a helicopter coming out to you if, you know, you fall down and break a leg and can't get out or, you know, something to that effect. I mean, I've had lots of, I wouldn't call them close calls, but injuries and floating the wheelers down the creek, that's no fun. <laughs> Oh, man, you know, going down, going through the ice on a snow machine—that's that's not fun. Um, I I slipped I slipped into a hole, just something stupid, you know, kind of thing on 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 the creek there that I was trying to get through. You know, the narrows that I talk about that we're going through. You know, this is yep. one of the dangerous spots. Well, this is one of the first spots to open up. And when I was going to stake that claim originally, um. I slipped in the hole. Uh, there was a hole there because it had opened up already, and I slipped and fell on the ice and bent my middle finger all the way or all the way back, like oh. dislocated it and had an injury that hadn't healed up. Has I, I still feel it, you know, kind of thing. Kind of one of those permanent injuries on my finger. So, right. I mean, there's things. Yeah, it's there's it's risky, but I mean that's life. Yeah, well, it seems like as far as doing a lot of this stuff in Alaska, one of the things, in, especially in your channel that you focus on is is teaching your boys and, and making sure that they've got the understanding and the knowledge they need to be successful living in Alaska. Do you, is that something that you got from your father? Is that something that like for you is just intrinsically, I know this is what I want to do? Where does that come from? Yeah, I'm, I'm blessed to have a, you know, to come from a a stable home where my father taught me a lot of outdoor stuff and my father did work a lot. I, I come from, um, uh, a family of seven, seven kids. So I'm okay. the oldest out of, out of, uh, seven. Um, I feel like I got the most out of, out of that cause I'm the oldest, but, um, my dad had to work a lot of hours. So when he was available, he was always doing family stuff and teaching us and he really loves to fish, and so he gave me a love for fishing like nothing else, you know. My screen name's Fisherman Jake, so <laughs> if, that, if that says anything, I do love I do love fishing, um, the hunting and gold mining and all that other stuff has come come afterwards, and I've come to appreciate more of a variety. But I mean, I grew up fishing real heavy. With my so dad. with your boys, especially with the videos that you do for uh, mountain men, I think is what you call it, right? You do that about once yeah. a year with a whole bunch of other, a whole crew there. Um, what is it about doing that in particular, especially with your boys, that allows you that that ability to spend more time with them? And what is it that you guys, like, what's your favorite thing to do during the mountain men, you know, portion of the year, if you will? Well, and that's one thing, you know... Um, 
just with our with 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 my channel. I know I'm not necessarily. I'll, I'll get to that. I'll get to answering that question. Through sure, this sure. We'll go on a little bit of a rabbit trail here. No worries. Uh, the thing that's really important to me, you know, it's important to me with my channel uh, that I don't get political because I know people come with different opinions and stuff like that. But but there are some things that have unfortunately become political nowadays. And, um, you know, I guess uh, masculinity and and fatherhood, to, you know, you know, to sonhood has become kind of a kind of, I don't know, under attack. So that's the politics that I will end up getting into as I raise my boys is is to get into the culture of understanding the importance of that, um, because it's that's a that's a huge value to me to be able to get out and spend time and train my boys up to be strong, you know, valuable men for society and be able to um, raise families themselves and continue on the same traditions that they learned. And I just know that it'll make them strong. It'll it'll make them um, mentally strong, uh, spiritually strong and be able to take on challenges in life and and they won't be soft they won't be weak um there's a lot of adversity i guess we're we're gonna face in life and um, our culture is basically degraded to a place where everything's provided for us and i want my boys to be able to be able to overcome things when they're not provided because i think those days are coming in the future but but so that's really important to us and, and, uh, and to me and to a lot of guys in, in my community. And so we get together and we take our boys out to winter camp, which isn't easy. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. we're out there setting up tents and it's zero degrees out, you know? <laughs> and, right. And our boys, um, they see us doing that. And it is the highlight of their year. You'd think that, you know, it'd be a lot of work for them and they don't like to, but that, that social interaction and the, the facing the adversity with other, other men and people they can look up to is something that they look forward to more than any other thing in the year. I, they look forward to it more than Christmas, you know, and they, we get out there, our favorite thing to do, you know, this year, we we go snow machining out there. We call them snow machines up here. That's an Alaska yeah, yeah, yeah. thing, you know. <laughs> Snowmobiles for all you lower forty eighters. <laughs> right, right, right. So so, anyways, we take about snow machining and just learning a new skill like that is is valuable for young young men and boys. Um, I think there's something innately like human in it. Um, especially for, well, it's, it's, it's for both boys and girls, you know, they're looking to train up to be, you know, it's like, it's just a biological response in a sense that they're looking to grow up, you know? And so, so they're looking for people to look up to and stuff. And that gives us the best opportunity and it supplements my parenting because they can see a whole community doing it as well. It's, it's interesting to think about in that context, because I've had that conversation with other people as well. This idea that masculinity is like disappearing. And I've, I've right now hold the opinion that I don't think it's actually disappearing. I think that there's more people who uh, talk much louder than everybody else that make it feel like that. But I do feel like not. I mean, most people are, uh, you know, raising to your point, not just their sons, but their daughters with this level of, you know, mentorship and responsibility. They just don't do it in a public manner because that's a special bond uh, between you and and your children. And in this case, you film it. And what I appreciate about seeing those little, those little specks as you see in their eyes and in, in your, both of your sons, uh, that moment of, you know, Hey, I got my first caribou or, you know, I'm riding my snow machine by myself, following my dad to the camp. Like you see those little bits and, and that's to your point, extremely important to have those moments with them. So 
uh, it's really cool to see that. And it's really cool to see you do that, especially out in, you know, for me, that's like super wilderness out there. <laughs> yeah. And I, I agree with you that masculinity and, and strong, strong men aren't going away. They're just not, it's not something that's encouraged. And I want to encourage other people in showing it that it happens and, and, and just give people, especially men that are thinking about being fathers and men that are, that are maybe have young kids or that they're mm-hmm. questioning their ability as a, as a father to just step up and kind of be that hero for their kids, you know? Yeah. So that that's something that their kids can look up and appreciate. Um, in, in the rural setting, uh, a lot of people just don't care what other people think. And so they're going <laughs> to live how they want to live. And so that masculinity doesn't go away. But, you know, there's a saying that says, you know, strong men produce, you know, e- easy times. Easy times produce weak men. Weak men produce hard times. Hard times. Hard times produce hard times produce. So, yeah, yeah. So it's a, I, th- I think that's a cycle. And if you look through history, that's it's 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 kind of. It's, it's a hard case study through history, but you could certainly draw out those conclusions. When you relate that to history, one of the historical figures that I always think of is Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, you know, the, the idea of living a strenuous life, intentionally putting yourself in situations where you have to be strong mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, because that's the only way you continue to grow. And, you know, to your point, not every person knows how to properly uh, you know, kind of put their kids through the paces, if you will. Uh, but watching something like your channel might give some folks an idea of, you know, maybe a camping trip wouldn't be so bad. Like it might be a pain for you because you haven't gone camping in like 20 years, but, you know, having them watch you set up the tent or, or build a fire, you know, and getting them involved in that process is extremely important. Um, and, and the way that you film that and you capture that is is just really cool. I can't sing those praises enough. It's really cool to watch that. Yeah. And that's, and that's really our, that's, that's my goal with the channel. That's, I guess that's the heart behind it and that, and, and sharing Alaska with people. I, I would like to, I guess I've done that, what you've said, what you, what you've described. Um, I'd like to get a little bit more maybe practical with people that actually are coming to the state or would like to see the state. Um, it's just been easier with my time frame because I'm working a full-time job at the same time you know, as I'm doing these things. So, um, the more practical thing has been showing, um, how to maybe put ourselves in a little bit more adverse situations to grow, you know, with our family, um, than, than doing more of a kind of showcase of Alaska. Although we've done some of that, but we're going to end up doing more of that. Yeah, so. yeah, I it's uh, what I think is really nice too about the channel specifically is it gives you the forum to do all of those things. Yeah, you know, if you yes, look through does. the timeline of all of your videos, there are years where you're much more focused on, you know, doing stuff with your kids, and it looks like so far this year the focus is on the claim and and getting the cabin up and and showing that type of stuff. So it's really cool too to to see you be able to pull in and out of different you know kind of. Uh, situations using the same medium. So that in and of itself is really cool. Um, I do want to steer over a little bit to fishing though and want to talk about uh, how it was for you to take your, your, well, the whole family out on the boat and fish for halibut. That was a really cool video. Yeah, that was a, that was a, that was a good one. Um, uh, That was quite a few years ago. Um, Mm -hmm. That one, I think that one's, Boy, it's been almost four years, I think now, three or four years ago. And uh, my dad's got a boat um, uh, that we go out on the ocean a, a lot. So, you know, it's like you, you you said earlier, you know, did your dad teach you some of the, these things that you're teaching your kids and, and lead an example? And, and he has. And so, you know, the, <clears throat> boat's a big investment, you know, and if you're diversified, it's hard to invest in everything. So it's nice to have you know, that community around you where you don't have to have everything. So my dad's got that and he took us out there and, and he takes us out every year, you know, and it, as much as basically he's available to take us out, we can go out with him. 
right really right. nice uh, opportunity uh, not everybody gets it but yeah we went out on that trip and and we put down uh, in shallow water for halibut they're generally a deep water fish but they do come into pretty shallow um, and we just had one of those days that you you remember forever you know they don't happen yeah. all the time we've been out a lot of times that haven't made it on the channel that that or maybe they made it on the channel and they weren't popular because we caught a couple little halibut but sure. my oldest ended up catching a hundred pounder so that and you was, caught these uh, what are those i what are they called irish lords those are uh, they're, they're, they're they're called they're, they're the the actual name is um um great sculpin for them but okay. but they call basically most sculpin that pe people catch up here are just called irish lords there's a specific type of sculpin um there's a lot of crazy looking looking things down in the depths of the ocean um but uh but yeah we caught those all our kids we were teaching them how to fish there i think beth was like yeah she would have been six years old and she's catching halibut too you know you yeah. know and it's not it's not an easy task a halibut is one of the hardest it's like this is deep sea fishing in in the in the pure sense of it you know it's like mm -hmm. going for mahi mahi or you know anything like that where you're out fairly far in the ocean and and you're um you're fishing with big gear so for a six-year-old to catch that that's a lot that's a lot and my my son who let's see let's see he would have been i think nine nine or ten at the time yeah i think nine and uh he uh he um got a hundred pounder so that's a big yeah. halibut for a little kid i think that's he weighed crazy. like 60 pounds at the time <laughs> <laughs> 60 pound kid reeling up a hundred pounds and my other son caught a 60 pounder so it was just one of those days beautiful weather you know the, the, the good days generally fall in beautiful weather because you can fish longer and easier and you don't have to go in just one of those beautiful phenomenal days now do you, you prefer fishing off the boat with your dad like that or you did um, I'm probably going to butcher what it's called, but like netting, essentially salmon. Like I've, I've watched a oh, video yeah, for yeah. that as well. So, okay. So I grew up, uh, in the summers commercial fishing. So I've, I've done a lot of stuff in Alaska. I'm pretty, I'm, I'm what you'd call a well-rounded, or I've been described as a well-rounded Alaskan. I still think okay. I could be more well-rounded. Okay. You know, there's things <laughs> that enough. I wish I could do that I watch other Alaskans do that I'm like, Man, if I did that, I'd really be an Alaskan. But uh, <laughs> but but people look at what I do, and I have a very varied. Um, it's kind of a jack of all trades, or as I like to say, a Jake of all trades. But <laughs> I um, like that one. <laughs> but anyways, uh, yeah. So there's three types of fishing in in Alaska, and that's commercial um, sub, subsistence or personal use. But but it's kind of the state has a a regulation for subsistence and then you're sport fishing. And so uh, we, we do all three. I haven't commercial fished in quite a few years, but um, we have friends that commercial fish. And so like I did a whole video on the three types of fishing on the Kenai river. And it's, it's like a mini docu style, really, really cool thing that explains all of them. But, um, but you take your kids down fishing. You probably saw that one too. Yep, I watched that one. It was yeah. a really cool one. But you take your kids down on the on the river, and the salmon are returning, and uh, you, you have big hoop nets with gill nets in them, and uh, the fish swim into those gill nets, and you can harvest a lot more than you could sport fishing if the fishing's good. So you had one guy in a lawn chair up. just chilling <laughs> in the river. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> with my his brother in there. Is okay. <laughs> yeah, so you know, we took we took family out there and so his kids and our kids were having a fun time fishing together. And a lot of people don't have their kids gillnet in there cuz you know, it's it's you know, they got life jackets on and stuff. I mean, they could float out to the ocean. Some of the other places we do it like there's cliffs into rapids kind of thing. Um I, I might try to do that this summer. If I do, I'll get it up on the YouTube channel, but I'm I mean, there's there's some pretty cool avenues to um, getting your food up here. That's for sure. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, for that specific video, though, the drone shots that you took of the commercial fishermen were really cool. Um, and I know a while ago uh, you were trying to do more drone type stuff. Um, has that focus been uh, kind of let off a little bit, just given all the stuff you're getting into now, especially with the claim and the, the, the mine and everything you've got going on? Or is that something that hopefully will start coming back to the channel? Uh, if ever I think that I got a good drone shot to take, I, I usually have it with me. Um, so a lot of times conditions just don't allow for a great drone shot. And so I generally, if I'm not excited about the drone shot, I don't pull it out. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. So, you know, I've flown it at 40 below. So I've taken it places where like you shouldn't necessarily be able to fly a drone, but if you, there's some, some kind of tricks to, be able to do that you know to be able to get your drone up in the air when your battery shouldn't operate and stuff like that uh, but but i've i've taken it a lot of places with me but when you're setting up camera gear and doing all that stuff i mean that stuff takes time out of your day so like it takes me you know a solid 10 minutes to get the drone taken out set up props in and, and get it up in the air and check everything out. And, and when you're in the middle of doing something, it really limits what you can do because not only am I the cameraman, I'm the, I'm kind of the, you know, I'm the host. And I'm also taking care of kids. I'm also, you know, trying to meet our objective. You know, if that's catching a fish or <clears throat> finding some gold, there's only so many things my hands can do. Um, and so the drone, the drone will be peppered throughout, um, maybe every five or six videos I get, I'll have a piece of drone footage of long form content. I'll, I'll have a, a drone shot in it that we were able to, you know, you probably appreciated the mountain man drone shots this year. I had one of the most epic drone shots that I've ever had in my life. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, the other thing is um, what I post kind of that isn't my regular content. If it doesn't perform well on YouTube, like it doesn't hit into the algorithm and it doesn't get enough likes and comments, it, it like disincentivizes me. I hate to say that, you know, because I don't model my stuff after what YouTube wants mm -hmm. in one case, you know, but in the other case of the extra stuff, if it's not going to build my channel um, quickly, in that sense. And, and it takes a lot of time to take away from that. I do. So I'm, I'm always kind of pushing for a new Avenue to draw traffic to, for, for people to come see what we're doing. But, um, and in the other sense, I'm not afraid of posting content that YouTube's going to demonetize because they don't like guns, you know? Right. Right. Well, that's a really specific challenge for somebody who's filming an Alaskan lifestyle because, that lifestyle includes, uh, you know, hunting. It includes guns. It includes uh, uh, skinning animals and and doing things that require you to have to put up what some people would consider gory stuff in order to feed you and your family. So, in that sense, I I, I struggle with understanding why YouTube would, you know, for lack of a better word, poo poo yeah. that stuff. It's kind of like uh, it it goes in waves with them too. Um, they'll like maybe somebody will throw a fit about it in, in, in YouTube. And then somebody will, you know, it'll, it'll, it's a pendulum swing with them. So right now um, it seems like they're not too hard on like none of my new hunting videos or gun videos have gotten demonetized with, with their, with their thing. I've even had them get age restricted. I'm like, uh, I didn't even hardly show any blood in the content, you know, mm -hmm. you know, I never, I never show animals suffering. I always take it, you know, to where, you know, we're respectful about everything, you know, and when you're hunting, you don't necessarily have a, a full control over everything, you know, I mean, that's just part of the thing. It's part of nature, I guess. <clears throat> if you think about, you know, a predator going after prey, it's, it's not always pretty, you know, in the natural world that, that stuff, that stuff happens every day. Um, it's know, never pretty, Jake. Never. Fish gotta swim. Birds gotta eat. Yeah. Finding yeah, yeah. Re reference there. 
So, you know. well, and for, for hunters, you know, I, myself, I bow hunt for whitetail up in, in, mm-hmm. I'm in upstate New York. So I do bow hunt with my father-in-law. You're not looking to make the animal suffer. And if you think about the opposite, like what will happen to that animal, if nobody harvests it, it will either be eaten, die of old age. And when we say old age, I mean, freeze to death or starve to death. Those three things are like not great ways to go. What, what what kind of animals actually ever die of old age? Really, only predators die of old age, you know, because the other animals that die of old age. I mean, there's there's animals that <clears throat> spawn and then they die, but right. but something takes them out because they get old and weak. You know, I mean, the natural order is is the predator comes and takes out the animal before it gets to old age, and then or the a predator or disease is going to kill the animal. They just don't die of old age in the wild. It just doesn't happen. You see old age, like dogs dying of old age. In ca- <clears throat> Domestic animals die of old age. <clears throat> and animals in ca- captivity die of old age. And it doesn't happen in the wild unless part of the natural order of their life cycle is they spawn and then they die because there's just so many of them that the predators can't take. O- take. That's just the way it goes. Well, even then, the the death of even those animals. I mean, I always when you say that, I think of the salmon, right? And what happens to the salmon? Well, bears and other predators, whether it's wolverines or you name it, they come and they eat those animals to continue that cycle of life. It's just how the world works at this point. Within a couple of days, you know, it's like their bodies just go from spawning and then they decay and they're falling apart. Literally, molds growing off of them, so the fungus is growing off of them. And then, like their, 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 like their, their flesh is opening up, and then mm-hmm. they die. So, I mean, it can't be a comfortable way to go, but it's just no, a natural no. order of things. Right, right. It's just the separation between. And I just talked to somebody uh, the other day. I just had a podcast with a guy in New Zealand. And we were talking about hunting and the importance of that, and the difference between that and like someone who might be into vegetarian or veganism. You know, at the end of the day, though, what I don't understand about people who are vegans or vegetarians, and when I say that, I mean like diehard ones, the ones that will point at you and call you a murderer for, for you know, taking a life to feed yourself and your family. Wouldn't you rather at least have somebody like you who's out there, you know, foraging and, and harvesting their own sustenance as opposed to somebody like me who goes, I'm going to get a Burger King meal from a fast food restaurant and that's all factory farming, like... The, the balance between the two in what you're doing, trying to completely subsist and, and sustain your lifestyle with your own hard work is just as valuable, if not more so, than someone who's just anti, you know, death and murder and, and whatever they want to describe hunting as. Where do you fall in in that picture, you know? Well, there's, there's I, even a more beautiful part of it um, mm-hmm. that I guess you can't understand because when you kill an animal and you'd understand this with bow hunting, especially because you're close to the animal, you, you, you can't like when you're rifle hunting, you can be a farther distance. It's less of that challenge and build up. Right. But then when you kill that animal, there's also a sense of loss of loss, you know, um, unless you have like a really strong bloodlust and are like, I mean, there's, there's, Men that men that do have that like that bloodlust, I, I I joke with my 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 second oldest. I joke with Cody. I, I say, you you kind of have the bloodlust, buddy. You just want to get out there, and, and it's like that challenge of you did it, and you're you know you're smashing it. But but as I've gotten older, I've 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 come to appreciate the sense of loss when you take an animal's life, um, and it's a hard thing to describe. You you become you you get this sense of loss and it's it helps you deal with um the senses of loss in life that aren't tied that you don't get to choose um it's Mm. kind of a profound thing it's almost spiritual um because you're ending ending a life there and you realize that that animal like gave its life there's a sadness and a loss but it's a deep um valuable emotion that you get from it and it's not a it's not an emotion that's necessarily pleasant but right because it's 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 like it's a dissident emotion you know like dissidents and singing you know it's a dissident emotion to a bunch of other joyful emotions and it deepens the whole emotional feeling when you take an animal 
So, and it makes you just, I, I don't know. It's like, it, it's a richness of emotions that I can't describe. It makes you feel totally rich. And I find that the older I get, the more I appreciate it. So it's something mm-hmm. that it's kind of like, it's something you acquire over time. There's I, don't that know, and... I don't know how to describe it. Um, I'm sure you felt some of that with hunting. Um, uh, yeah, going and buying, you know, 30 pounds of hamburger at the store is is like, you know, what, a couple hundred bucks, you know, which a couple hundred bucks isn't a lot of money. But how do you feel like when you harvest a deer and put them in your in, in your freezer? You, you feel wealthy. Um, you feel like. It doesn't feel like that couple hundred bucks. That's why people spend tens of thousands of dollars to, to go on a hunt, even though, you know, maybe they didn't need it. But but the building and what it does um, for the depth of your character, if if you appreciate it, is is you can't you can't describe it. Yeah. And, and that experience as well continues on after the kill as you harvest the animal and you and you you know you quarter it out you <clears throat> excuse me you drag it out of the woods you process it you're making all sorts of of meals with it and it might be 2 months from now when you you know you unfreeze some sausage and you're making it in the morning for breakfast and you're sitting there you're eating it and you're thinking about the moment that you got that animal or <clears throat> the challenge that you had getting and finding the animal tracking the animal i mean there's such a richness of experience from the day you get your license and you're heading out into the woods all the way to the day that you consume that actual meal, because that for somebody like yourself, especially when you freeze those meals, you're, you might not have it for a month or two. You yeah, crack well, open that bag and you thaw it out. And, and that's what your thought process is, man. I remember where I was when I took this animal. And, 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 and you just have that, you know, there's, there's a level of gratitude that you don't get from buying something at the store when you're eating that meal. Like you have, like more gratitude from eating a meal of wild game that you harvested yourself, then it's almost like some, somebody gave you something that you couldn't get on your own. And that's the kind of gratitude you have from it. It's, 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 it's a really neat emotion. And for people who haven't done it, um, you're missing out. I mean, you're missing out on, on, on a depth of life that, that other people get to enjoy and you can't really appreciate until you've done it I don't, I don't, there's not there's not a way to describe it yeah I mean, that's so get your license to describe it. yeah get it go get your license go out hunting <laughs> it's 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 yeah it's just interesting every time i have that conversation when it comes to particularly hunting um and and harvesting of animals you know the differences between all the things but you're right you know at the end of the day you can't you have to go out and you have to experience it for yourself to really appreciate the depth of what's happening and, and what's occurring. But uh, I thank you for your insight. Cause that's really, uh, really special. And I think really important. So I appreciate that um, for your boys when they took those, those caribou, right. What was their reaction? Like, how do they react to that? Do you coach them through that emotion or do you just let them, you know, let them, you know, dwell in that and figure it out for their, for themselves. I think for my oldest, um, just because of the situation, it was more, uh, valuable in the sense of understanding. He, he actually, he's more, he's more emotional in the sense of when it comes to hunting than my, than my second youngest, I mean, than Cody is. So Luke is, Luke is like, like he feels bad for the animals before, um, he takes, takes a shot. Cody just is so excited in the moment. Like he doesn't process through that. So like, when he shot that shot that caribou and it came down, um, that challenge was a culmination of a lot of. So, if you if you followed, um, I know you did a lot of binging, but if you followed that season earlier, he was out every day moose hunting with me, and we were unsuccessful. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> like big game hunting's a lot of work to go do, and <clears throat> generally that success, you don't you don't actually get that level of success. It, you know, it's like one in a hundred times or something. It's not that low. I mean, it depends, but I mean, it's, it's low, it's low. So like some people never kill a big game animal that hunt for them, you know? Um, but, but not getting that success and so many successive 
trips and being out there and, and seeing moose and seeing game that you could take and not being able to take it, it it's kind of a build up to that. So he had that build up and my, my Cody, I would have taken him, but he uh, jumped down the stairs and broke his foot. <laughs> so he was oh, made up during moose season that, that this last year. So, uh, so Luke really got that special time. And so when he went and on his own pulled up and takes a shot and drops an animal, um, that was really like this, you know, big sigh of, you know, I wouldn't say of relief, but just of accomplishment, a sigh of accomplishment, I guess. And so he was pretty, pretty thrilled about that. And then Cody, Cody, um, got the excitement and he's a little bit, you know, he's a little bit younger and doesn't have quite the dexterity, um, gets a little bit more buck fever. Sure. Pulling up on an animal there. Uh, so, you know, I, you know, me having to put a bullet in the animal too, um, to knock it down, you know, I was ready to back up Luke, but he was so like, he was so measured and everything. Like I didn't have to, Mm -hmm. um, where, whereas Cody, he was so excited to take that shot and get his first animal, you know, that when, as soon as his bullet flew and hit the animal, I was like, well, time to put the animal down because I don't necessarily think he's going to have the perfect kill shot so right right well listen i'm 32 years old and i still get buck fever so i get it cody yeah, yeah. no 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 yeah and, and, and i still i still i still get a little bit of buck fever um with that and i've killed a few animals i don't get uh, i don't get a moose every year um lately i've been well i guess i don't get a caribou every year either i i could have got caribou this year but um it was more important to me that that my boys get those caribou um, that training, the, and, there, and that's something, you know, a lot of people, you know, they think, well, if I, if I don't, if I take my kids, I'm not going to be able to enjoy it, but you end up enjoying the, the journey with them. And I would say it's a richer fulfillment when my kids get something now, because I've already done it and watching them go through that first process than, than me getting something by far. So like, yeah, like, even though I didn't, hit luke's caribou with a bullet it, it didn't even matter to me i didn't even think about it I, I i felt like i got that caribou with him and i was part of the whole process and actually captured it on video it was probably more of a more of a thrill for me than um getting it uh being able to sit down and take a shot with him go down yeah it's it's really cool watching you go through that whole thing with with them and and again just that 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 father son relationship that you continue to build it's obviously very special it's very unique and it's uh you know it's one all your own and i'm sure you'll have those memories for until you're laid in the ground and one thing one of the goals i guess uh that i have um also is just with you know with what we're doing on youtube i would like them to you know they're starting to get to the age where they're starting to take little bits of roles like like, um, like I'll even hand the, hand the, um, camera over to Bethany and she'll videotape and narrate a little bit in some of our, our videos. So not only am I teaching the kids the outdoor stuff, but I'm also teaching them to communicate with people and be able to, being able to kind of have a, um, I guess some competence with putting together a story uh, yeah. to be able to to do that too. And, and as the kids get older, you'll, you'll end up seeing um, more of that in our channel because it'll, it'll allow us to diversify and do more as they start building. And it might not help my quality of my content grow as quickly in the short term, but in the long run, it will because they'll right. get better at that. And I think it's a good journey to, to walk through. Well, let's start with the next thing here, which in Alaska, obviously, for a lot of people up there, foraging and, and, and growing your own food and harvesting your own food is real important. The the morel thing that you did uh, with with uh, your youngest there uh, was really cool. What is it specifically for you, at least, taking your kids out morel hunting as well? Like, do you, I mean, I didn't had no idea there was a, a real morel versus a false morel on your, on your short there what is it that you're showing them? What are you teaching them? And, and what's the best way to, to cook those suckers up? 
Well, so um, for those, for I guess for your listening audience, you know, some of them may not know what morels are. I imagine most of them do, but morels are a, a, a pretty gourmet mushroom. Um, they're pretty well, like in in French cooking, they use them a lot for for wild mushrooms. So a lot of times when you're eating like a wild mushroom blend, they'll be in it. But they grow wild up here, and uh, um, I guess it's that finding. Uh, that finding and that being able to, to get something that nobody produced, you didn't trade it off of anybody. It just came up from, from, from the earth, I guess, in, in a sense, in, in a literal yeah. sense. Yep. And, uh, you get to be the first one to go find that and, and it adds to value to you. So you just go and find it, it adds value to it, to you. And, um, just teaching that that whole thing to my kids, it, I think it's there's a natural desire for that in a lot of people, and I know it's in in all my kids. They have fun um, um, being able to do that, and so teaching them what's good to eat, I guess, gives them that that kind of idea that they don't need the store to go get stuff. But it, it's also just something I like doing, and um, and when they go and do come along with things that I like to do, it, it does, it builds kind of more relationship with us. So what's the difference between the, the, I mean, I know I watched the video and for those of you guys who haven't seen it, when you go to his channel, it'll be there. It's, it's like a minute, but the weird, you know, cup looking, the stem not being attached to the whole uh, top of the burrell there. Do people eat false morels? Like, is it dangerous to pick the wrong one, or is it just a bad tasting mushroom? Well, there's a there's a lot of you know quote false morels out there, um, different species, and some are poisonous. Uh, morels are what's called kind of a, a a a foolproof mushroom because they're they're pretty easy to uh, identify from these other other mushrooms and i showed how you do it with that one that the false morel that i showed on there um mm-hmm. a lot of people eat those um i've read a i've read a lot of material on them uh basically those are considered edible but they're considered like to if you didn't cook them right or something, they could have toxins in them that, that species specifically, but there's other ones that looks, you know, similar to someone who's never picked mushrooms before and doesn't know really anything about foraging that they could eat. That would be potentially deadly poisonous. You know, if you ate it without cooking it and, there's toxins that could affect you long-term and stuff like that. So there is, there's a minuscule amount of danger in that. Um, but you know, when you cut them in half and you can see that the caps connected, there's just a form of the fruiting body. That's, that's unique to morels. And if you, if you know how to identify, like they're a solid, they're a solid mushroom with, with a, with a hollow core, you know, you cut open some of these other ones and it's the like the one that I showed, and it's disconnected at the top. It's not solid all the way through. And some of these other ones, it'd be like if you took a stem and then you rolled up a, um, like a ball of paper, okay? And that's what the, the, the flesh in the mushroom looks like. It looks like you rolled up a ball of paper, except for it's, it's like mushroomy and spongy. Right. It's got that like fleshy mushroom type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like a rolled up ball of paper. So it kind of falls apart when you cut it, you know, there's these other mushrooms that you, you could eat and, uh, and they'd be poisonous, but morels, like I said, they're, they're fairly, anybody who's picked them and they're considered fairly safe. So how do you cook them up, Jake? Um, I just throw them in, I just throw them in butter most of the time. Uh, do you? Okay. Just yeah, fry them up yeah, in butter. Yeah. Fry them up in butter. Have you eaten them before? I, I have not. Well, they, they have them all across the United States. So like, it's like, they're not just an Alaskan thing, but, um, I know that a lot of guys in New York end up picking them. I know people from New York and that. Really? I'm going to have to look into that and see if I can yep. 
forage out there and find something. Yeah. They say down there, look around dead elm trees. Up here, we don't have mm. elm trees. So, or apple orchards. But, um, uh, we get them on, on those, you know, with the, with the, one of the videos I have, we found like a couple bucket, like a bucket full of them, um, which is an incredible amount. They're, they're one of those mushrooms that people pay like 20, 20 bucks a pound for fresh sometimes, you know, they're, they're an expensive, really? wow. they're an expensive sought after mushroom. And so, you know, you get a whole bucket of mushrooms like that and you maybe you got 30 pounds of them and it's like, oh, I could sell these for, you know, 600 bucks. And we went and picked them for a couple hours, you know, kind of thing. Right. But, but, um, I dried up a bunch this year and I'll have them with steak occasionally, you know, just rehydrate them. And generally we just saute them and, and put them with, with, with steak that we're eating or we'll put them on a burger or something like that. But they're, they're a really good, pleasant flavored mushroom. You did ask earlier uh, if the false morels um, taste bad and some of those, they, they taste, um, they taste good. And so, that's one of the things with the poisonous mushroom, you know, you don't want a poisonous mushroom that tastes good because then you'll eat a bunch of it. Right. <laughs> right. Right. You do, that makes be, sense. you do have to be a little careful on them. Yeah. 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 So I know we, we talked about it a little bit here and there, just like the future of the channel. I know you're, you're looking at doing, you know, more with the, with the claim and obviously the cabin build is going on. Um, is there anything in the back of your head that you think six months from now, maybe a year from now that you're thinking might be a cool project to take on to, to be able to put on the channel? Well, the biggest, the biggest, um, the biggest project, I guess, is, is definitely that claim. And it's, it's, it's a series in itself, you know, mm -hmm. um, the, but the, but really what I really would like to do is, um, I mean, if you, you just saw the shorts, I just got a, um, trailer. And so we're going to be traveling around the state a lot more. Um, and so that's really going to open up a lot more variety of content. So I guess we're going to be looking at a lot more variety of Alaska through that, you know, and, and doing a few thing, more things that aren't necessarily the same things that we've done every year. You know, I put hunting videos up every year because we hunt every year. Yeah, and I'll put, you know, some fishing videos up every year. But I guess the channel's going to um, really showcase a lot of different places in the state uh, starting this summer. And we were, but um, I really have the time this summer to be able to invest in it. And should should I ever make it full-time on YouTube, I mean, the, the amount we'd be able to film would be incredible. Right, right. Three or four pieces of long form every week, you know. Well, I hope to see a lot more of that. I hope to see a lot more of you exploring Alaska. Um, I, I hope to see, to be honest with you, at some point, some more drone footage because I know you kind of, you know, you're being a little self-deprecating there, but some of the drone footage that you have, like of the sun dog, is amazing. Like, I think it's some of the coolest stuff that you have, just, just visually speaking. Uh, so... I look forward to seeing a lot more of that. I look forward to, to seeing a lot more of your content coming out in the future, man. Yeah, visually, visually for that, um, uh, that uh, if I can incorporate it right into my long form, it'll it'll really add add some value. But like I said, it, that stuff takes time. And um, one of the things that that helped me a lot, though, is is you know I was talking with you before the the podcast here about, um, some of the other YouTubers that had, that had helped me out, um, mm -hmm. you know, with the, the outdoor boys coming and, and collabing with us, he ended up, um, helping me by getting me extra batteries and stuff for my GoPro. <laughs> so I ended up, uh, I, I ended up changing a lot of my long form content. The bad part is it takes me a lot longer to edit now, but I'm getting a lot more of those special shots to put a better story together because I'm videoing, you know, more like 60% when I was videoing, you know, 10% of the time of just the exciting stuff that was going on. So you get a lot more storyline with that. And if I can incorporate the drone into that, that might be valuable. 
Well, it's not just the drone too. Like I can't wait to see the cabin when it's done and I can't wait to see what you do with your claim, you know, this summer and, and hopefully you find some real, some real good some amount nuggets. of nuggets up there, you know? Yeah. Well, I found it. I found a, I found a couple, you know, good sized nuggets out there. Well, I call them good sized nuggets. I mean, there's people that are like, Oh, is it like, like fitting the size of your hand, like in the palm of your hand, you know, a couple ounces. No, no. They're like a penny weight nugget, but, uh, Right, right. But that's a good a nugget, nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How many people find a penny weight nugget? Not a lot. I Probably don't know any. Find many of them in New York. Definitely not. Definitely not. Well, I appreciate all your time, Jake, and like I said, I look forward to seeing more of your content come out, man. Well, thanks for having me on. I, I appreciate uh, you inviting me on to the podcast. And, uh,